The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Let me invite you again to access your Bibles at Jeremiah 52. Now we've read the passage. Before we launch into what we want to talk about today, let me remind you of where we were last week. Yesterday, uh, Carrie suggested the title of this sermon should be Jeremiah Had a Bullfrog or Was a Bullfrog. (laughs) Was a good friend of mine. (laughs) Uh, So we're at the end. This is the last sermon in the series on Jeremiah. And we're at the point where we're talking about themes and obviously powerful messages that God wants us to walk away from Jeremiah with. We did uh, the first part of that. The first part of that in our service last week, and I tried to bring out three theological points that I'd like you to remember and consider. The first one was that people tend to get the leaders that they deserve, right? We saw that throughout the book of Jeremiah. The leaders and the kings looked, or the leaders and the people kind of looked the same, had the same attitudes towards God. On the other hand, then, the leaders called the shepherds over and over again in Jeremiah, the leaders of the people or the shepherds don't get to then use that as an excuse for being the worst of the people. You know, you get the leaders you deserve, that doesn't mean the leaders are allowed to be that way. The leaders should still be leading you better, leading you toward Christ and not away from him. But that's not what we saw throughout the book of Jeremiah. We did find leaders doing bad and leading the people in evil, but we saw Jeremiah reminding them, right, we saw it time and again, that Shepherds are going to come under greater condemnation from God for their sins. 
Just like teachers in our day. Let not many of you become teachers because we shall receive a greater condemnation. You don't think that verse scares me to death? <laughs> Man, it does. Every time I hear it, I'm like, I need more mercy than average. And you're talking about greater condemnation. Leaders stand to uh, what, it's just, it's like Spider-Man. With greater responsibility comes, or with great power comes great responsibility. And the biblical way to say it is, the one to whom much is given from him much is expected. And that's just true, and it happens, and it still continues to happen. The third point I wanted to make, though, then is how do we deal with that? How do we deal with this understanding that wicked people almost always get wicked leaders who lead them in greater wickedness? What's the remedy for that? And the world's way of remedying that has generally always been, even within the churches, it's generally always been to say, our trouble is with these bad leaders. So if only we could find greater men and put them in charge. Well, it's always been the great men that have gravitated to leadership in the first place. Men who are hungry for power and attracted to power seem to always wind up with power. And it never works out well. But what was the solution? Well, that, that very uh, failed line of kings, that failed line of shepherds, really does point forward to the need of the people for one leader to come who would be perfect, who would not fail, who would not fall short. And we believe that we are blessed to live in a time when we have received that one leader in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other thing it does, that line of failed leaders doesn't just point forward to Christ, but it also points back to the original plan of God for the people. Because in the law that God gave, allowance was made for kings, but kings were not mandated by the law. Israel was allowed to have them, but that wasn't God's original plan. God's original plan was self-government of the people under the law of God. Self-government. And let me point this out to you. That was God's plan for Israel when hardly anybody in Israel was born again. Most of them were not even believers, Scripture says. The reason that whole generation fell in the wilderness is because they had no faith. And even that group that had no faith, God wanted them to govern themselves, basically self-government under the law of God with a system of courts and judges to deal with controversies and actual crimes. That was the plan before the people had the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I, who are in Christ Jesus, you and I have been indwelt by the Spirit of God who has come in to plant God's law, at least the desire to keep it, on our hearts and minds. So that now you and I, if you're in Christ and you've been in Christ for some time, I feel confident in telling you, I don't think I or anyone else, a deacon or an elder or a policeman or a government agent or anything, I don't think any of us have any business in your business, watching over you and trying to catch you doing something wrong. That's just not the way God designed government to work. Some of y'all are children still, right? There's children in the back room playing. And children 
are those who need somebody kind of watching over them because they haven't been trained yet and they haven't matured. Self-government is still kind of beyond them. So what are we saying when we admit that we think our nation needs all sorts of watchdogs watching over us and, and we, we think our churches even need officers and a board of deacons and elders who can do church discipline and a pastoral staff who can keep an eye on the people. What are we saying? We're admitting that our institutions are turning our people into perpetual children. It shouldn't be that way, brothers. It shouldn't be that way. Jeremiah predicted a new covenant in which not, you wouldn't have to go to your neighbor and say, Hey, have you met the Lord? He's, he knows the Lord. And their, their hearts and minds are filled with the law of God and the desire to do what God wants. Man, I feel ready. That's good stuff, preacher. Now what we just read, I'm, I'm convinced there are two more points that I want to bring out to you. And I'm going to state them to you beforehand and then explain what I mean by them. The first theological theme that I want to show you, or that I think is evident both in this text and in the rest of Jeremiah, is this. The price of compromise is always the loss of the power and the presence of God. The price of compromise is always the loss of the power and presence of God. How do we see that? Well, we read the text here, the pillars in the temple are chopped down, the, the bowls and the plates and the pans and the, the snuffers and all the tools of doing the work of worship ministry inside the temple. It's all destroyed and it's all being taken back to Babylon. The temple itself is burned to the ground. It's destroyed. There's nothing left. How did that happen? Well, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. I'll give you some references that you can look at, but we don't have time to go back and look at all of these. You know what's in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It gets quoted all the time, right? The revival promise, if my people who are called by my name will humble them, right? You know that. At the end of that chapter, though, same God in the same series of promises to Israel and Solomon says, Basically, this is Gordon's paraphrase, but if you turn away from my laws, if you persist in not doing what I've told you you need to do, then you and all your people will go off into captivity. And furthermore, we're here dedicating the temple, and I have promised to put my name here perpetually. But if you depart from my laws and my commandments, I promise you, I'm going to wipe this temple off the face of the earth. Less than one generation later, Solomon was gathered to his fathers and his son Rehoboam reigned in his place. Rehoboam, uh, he, was, he was kind of a knucklehead. His first official act was to make the worst inaugural speech in history which split the nation, ten tribes and two tribes. But after that, his disobedience caused God to bring Shishak, the king of Egypt, to destroy Israel. 
Now, Rehoboam knew enough to repent. The leaders repented a little bit, and God was willing to deliver them a little bit. But what we saw was Shishak came, and if you'll read this, I, think, I believe it's chapter 11, 2 Chronicles 11, around there. And Shishak comes, and it says that he conquered Jerusalem, and it says he took everything out of the temple. All the gold and silver, Shishak took that. Solomon had made these big golden shields. Some of them weighed 75 pounds apiece. You're, you're not going to use these shields in battle. How much gold do you have to make before you decide, well, what can we do with this? I don't know. Make big old shields? <laughs> right? You have to have an excess of gold to decide, let's make, let's make a couple hundred of these big old shields. What for? I don't know. It'd just be cool. We've, we've done everything else you can do with gold, and we've still got these, this ton of gold left over. Let's make shields. And that's what they did. Shishak came and took all those away. And I just want you to imagine being a man or a woman in Jerusalem at that time. And you see these pagans. These, they dress funny. They look strange. They're speaking a language you don't understand. And they've just probably killed somebody you know that you're related to and these guys start trotting out of Jerusalem carrying everything out of the temple including all these big old shields they're gone they're headed down south well Egypt isn't south from you but you know they're headed away and then what Rehoboam do do you remember this story he decided to replace all those gold shields with shields made of bronze. And every time he went from his palace to the temple, he would have warriors carrying these big bronze versions of the same shields to the temple. And then he'd carry them back. Why? He's afraid of losing the bronze shields. No. These aren't worth anything. Can you imagine being a person in Judah and now you're watching the king of Israel or the king of Judah coming out of his palace to the temple and this parade of warriors with these little bronze imitations of what used to be gold. If you have a poetic cell in your brain, you can see the symbolism there that all of Judah should have been able to recognize. And what was that? At some point, you should have seen those bronze shields going back and forth and said, you know, it's not supposed to be this way. It, it wasn't this way. We are in a lower state than we were before. And just thumbing through my Bible, really uh, cursory thumbing through the rest of the book of Second Chronicles, I ran into half a dozen instances of other kings, including good kings like Asa, where they made deals that involved giving away the treasures of the temple to some pagan king or another. Either they were trying to form an alliance and they thought uh, handing over treasures from the temple would make the alliance more likely, or they were trying to buy a pagan king off who had threatened them. And instead, in every instance, instead of trusting in God to deliver them, they trusted in the gold and the silver. 
Now, I said before, um, the, the way I'm terming this is every instance of compromise necessarily, it's the cost of compromise. It's a loss of the power and presence of God. I'm calling it compromise because in all these instances, the king could make the case, hey, I'm just doing what I have with what I, I'm doing what I can with what I have to try to save my people. I've got all these pagan kings out here wanting to do bad things, and I've got some resources in the temple in terms of gold and silver, and I'm just doing what every king would do. Sure, you're going to pay off the bad guy. May, who, would, who would blame him? He's going to pay a bunch of money, a, a literal boatload of gold and silver. He's going to pay a bunch of money to appease this pagan king so he doesn't come and attack his people. Right? Everybody looking at that would say, oh, well, that's, that's totally normal. You haven't sinned then. You've done what you could with what you have. But God would know differently. God would look behind and see the heart of that king. He would see the paralyzing fear there. He would see the lack of faith. And so every time that the pagan kings or the bad kings of Judah, and even uh, at least Asa was considered one of the good kings, he did some bad things too. But it, they're giving away. It's not just that they're giving away gold and silver, but what are they giving away? This is God's house. It was adorned with silver and gold to display the glory of the God of Israel. And you're tearing those things off the wall. You're taking them down off the shelves and you're handing them over to the pagans. Because you're scared. How could you not see in that that your compromise is costing you the power and the presence of God? How could you not see that and recognize it? Well, pastor, that's interesting history. No, it's now. This is now. Some of you have relationships that are circling the drain, as the kids say. I don't know who that is, friends, family members. Maybe you're watching people and you see their relationships are circling the drain. And you wonder, how did it get like this? How did it get like this? It probably got that way because of a long series of incidents in which you decided because of fear, because of lack of trust in God, you decided, I'm going to do what the rest of the world does that looks completely logical and rational. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to do what I can with what I have in order to try to fix this situation. And now... All the gold and the silver is gone. And this thing's just spiraling around the drain. And you wonder how it got here. In America, I think what this amounts to, you know, the church now, we don't care about gold and silver. We're not supposed to. We're not supposed to care about the huge sanctuaries or the buildings or anything like that. If you and I, if this building burned down tomorrow and we had to meet next Sunday at Wales Park on the picnic benches, you know what? We'd have just as much church at Wales Park. Maybe more. Because we'd all be there saying, you know what? It's not that building that's important. It's about gathering together with the people of God to worship. But even in churches, 
It's not the gold and silver and it's not the observable things, but what is it that we have lost in America? I want to convince you, or I want to share with you, I'm convinced that what we have lost is not gold and silver, but we have lost the respect and the influence that God had previously given to Christian churches in the United States. Nobody cares what we think. Churches in small towns used to be the center of that community. It used to be in America, if you were going to ascend to some kind of high office, you had to at least make a gesture that you agree with what the church is saying. At least make a gesture. I mean, we're all smart enough to know you're a liar and a dog, but at least make the gesture, and it used to happen. Nobody cares anymore. Why did that happen? A lot of people would point to things like, well, you know, the church didn't fight when school prayer was taken out of the schools. Well, that's true. But I want to tell you, the compromises started a long time before that. When America adopted the system of taxpayer-funded compulsory attendance schooling to begin with, that was tyranny setting in, and the churches were happy to let it happen. You had churches justifying and promoting and making biblical, quote-unquote, biblical arguments for the slavery that happened in the South. The compromises started a long time before Roe v. Wade or before Madeline Murray O'Hare was successful in her lawsuit. And simply putting prayer back in those taxpayer-funded compulsory attendance schools is not going to fix that. The compromises came way later or way earlier. We're just now seeing, you know, my kids are now almost all in their 20s. And we thought, you're 20? (laughs) Holy smokes. (laughs) Holy smokes. Pastor learned something at church today. (laughs) I was thinking you were 19. Wow, was I there for your birthday? (laughs) All my kids are in their 20s. And back when Joyce and I decided that we wanted to homeschool them and not send them right away to the pagans to be educated, the reason we had in our mind was, these are pagans that are educating our kids, and we don't want that to happen. And in that 20 years, in that less than 20 years, things have gone completely out of whack now. You're likely to have transvestite story times and and uh, openly proselytizing for Islam in public schools. Can't pray in schools, but you can bring your prayer rug in there and, and do all the Islam stuff, right? And we all act like, whew, the world's gone crazy in the last 20 years. No, that slide began 200 years ago. It really has. And at every step along the way, somebody was able to make the case for saying, hey, we're just doing what we can with what we have. And every step along the way seems kind of rational and it seems to make sense. And here we are today. The power and the presence of God has gone even from the churches. Because now when we want to stand up and say, no, this is the line this far and no before we even get the sentence out, they've crossed that line too. The trouble was way back when. 
in your own life. I think each one of us faces this kind of compromise practically every single day. Because you run into people or you overhear conversations where the right thing to do would be to at least speak up, at least say, this is what the Bible says about this that we're talking about here. You don't have to convince them, but at least declare it to be true. And how many times? I'll raise my hand. This is my preaching hand, but I'll raise my other hand and say, uh, I'm guilty. I've done that where I've heard people talking and neither side knows what the truth is. And I could have and I should have spoken up and inserted the word of God in that situation. And what did I do? I did a thing that they and everybody else who was watching would consider perfectly reasonable, perfectly rational, not impolite. It, was, it, it obeyed all the rules of society. It, I didn't offend anyone because I just shut up and walked away. Nobody would look at any of that and say, oh, look at that guy's sin, except for God and except for me. I knew as soon as I walked away, as soon as I, as soon as I had the argument within myself about whether or not I should say something, I was already compromising. Right? And every compromise of that kind may not look like obvious sin, but you know it is. Because you shrunk away in fear and did the thing that the world thinks is perfectly fine. And every instance of that, it has a cost and it has a price. And that price is the loss of the power and presence of God. Now, that should strike you as maybe the worst possible news you've heard since you woke up this morning, at least. It's the worst possible news because you and I don't do anything but that. I mean, we compromise all the time. You know, there's several different types of sin. All sin is a transgression of the law of God, right? Transgression of his commandments. But we can find different ways to transgress. One of them is the Bible says don't do that and we do it anyway. And the other way is Jesus tells us do this and we fail to do it. You're already, you and I already deserve eternal hell for the things that he said not to do and we did. But I'm convinced the greater mountain and the greater weight of our debt are all those things that we know we should have done and we failed to do. Those sins of omission. Amen? Amen. And so when I'm standing up here telling you that every one of those sins of omission comes with a price of the power and the presence of God, that's horrible news. Amen. And I'm going to leave you that way. No. <laughs> What happens at the very end of Jeremiah? We see this little, this little story about Jehoiachin. Now, if you don't remember Jehoiachin, he was one of the last kings before Zedekiah, who was the last king. And Jehoiachin got taken captive in one of the earlier waves. Jeremiah chapter 24 has a vision that God gave to Jeremiah of two baskets of figs. And I don't know if you remember this. It's kind of a challenging message, really. I think it challenged some of you at the time. I don't know if you remember it or not, but there were two baskets of figs. 
One was good, the good figs, kinds you'd want to eat if you liked figs. And the other are bad figs, so rotten they're not worth anything. The only thing you can do is throw them out. And what God said in that amazing passage was, these people who are being carried away into captivity in this first or second wave, I am going to regard them as good figs. Even though the reason they're going into captivity is because they're horrible people. And they're not good people. They're not believers in God. They're idolaters. They're rebellious. They're stubborn. They won't listen to a word, Jeremiah says. And that's why they're going into captivity. And God, it's an amazing passage. I encourage you to look at it if you're not familiar with it. Jeremiah 24, I believe. The, the vision of the two baskets of figs. God doesn't say, I'm going to count them as good figs because I foresee some kind of good that they will do in the future. He says, I'm going to count them as good figs because that's what you get to do when you're God. He's just going to regard them as good figs. And here, at the end of the book of Jeremiah, we see this Jehoiachin who was justly, reasonably paying the price for his compromise in captivity in Babylon. And God visits him and raises him up. He's no longer in prison. He gets to be seated on a throne with the king, not just any throne, but his throne is better and higher than all the other kings who are there. And he is provided for. He is honored day to day. He is honored by the king of Babylon in ways that, frankly, who would have predicted this? And so, yes, all the people, there weren't many by the time it was done, all the people went into Babylon, justly so. And why? Because the price of their compromise was what? The power and presence of God. And so they're leaving the land and they're going into a foreign land. But there's something else going on there. Because even as that gold and silver and bronze was probably causing them to cry as it went and amen, rightly so. That's God going into captivity with his people. You get that? Yeah, it's a sad thing. It's a shame. It shouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened if they'd have just listened to Jeremiah. But now they're going, and in a sense, God's going with them. And here he is in captivity in Babylon, showing that even in that pitiful situation, the God of Israel is the God of the whole world. And he makes good on his promise to this guy who by all appearance, all appearance is one of the rottenest figs of all the rotten figs. But God plucked him out of that basket and put him into the basket that he's going to consider good. Well, pastor, how does that make any sense? How's that even right? I'm telling you that the only remedy for that compromise, the only solution to the loss of the power and presence of God is this. Hear me, church. The only remedy is the gracious, electing mercy of God. You are saved not because of anything you did, not because of anything God foresaw you doing. You are saved because God is good. Period. There's no other thing to attach to that. 
God is good. Scripture says he chose you before the foundation of the world. He loved you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Apart from any works that you had done. Man. Is that amazing? That is amazing. And here it is being preached in Old Testament by Jeremiah. How do you know you've been a recipient of this electing grace of God? Because you sit here as believers in Christ Jesus right now. He chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. That should let you breathe easy. I weighed you down. I did my best to weigh you down with a weight of bad news because you need to feel that sometimes before you understand how awesome it is what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. He's chosen to do good. He didn't have to. He chose you to do good for you. And now what? Now let's be determined. We're going to work on not compromising like we did before. We get those opportunities to trust in God and just declare what we know to be true. How about we start taking those opportunities? Right? I'm not asking you to shake the world. I'm not asking you to split the sea. I'm asking you to part your lips and just let the words fall out. Amen? You and I have the power and the presence of God because of the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus. You have not, we don't have to be the people who change the world, but we can be the people. We have the power. There's no reason that you and I should not be the people who change Tucum Curry, New Mexico. Oh, I get excited about this stuff. I feel like I'm a broken record sometimes. I'm up here telling you, we can do this. Not because of us, but because of him who dwells in us. Amen. Any thoughts or comments on this before we stop? Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.